the moderate caveat there that some will kind of vary on that definition. Some will take the fact that when we talk about the definition of the church being what? True believers. The church just simply comprises of all true actual believers. We don't count everybody that comes into the door as true believers in the regards that we acknowledge that there probably are those among our midst who still have not been brought to faith. So that would be kind of the visible church, those that are coming in the door, but we also talk about the invisible church because we don't know the internal state of every single person that comes through those doors, and that being the true church. But with that being said, some will kind of make the debate that you would say, oh, the church maybe started earlier on if we're using that as our definition. So there can be debate for that. The reason I bring that up is because you may have conversations with friends or family about this, and that's okay, and that's good, right? I don't think we've bridged into a salvation issue here, so we could probably have some moderate disagreements. However, I would say it is my conviction that I am persuaded with this view that church did start at Pentecost. Okay, mm -hmm. so um, that's kind of what I, I understand, what I glean, and where I lean with what scripture has to say. So let's move into our new area, though. Okay, we talked about origin, we talked about definition. purpose. What is the purpose of the church? So let me open up just with that general. What do you think people believe or think is the purpose of the church today? Inside or outside of the church? How do you think people would state that question? Or answer that question, I should say. What do you think? To meet my needs. Meet my needs. Okay. I kind of that I wasn't. I was just saying what people would say, not what. Not I what you would think. So the Pas church, Pastor the church Dave shoppers. does not hold to yes, that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's yeah. Excellent. Good. What else? Which one do you want? Either. I want general. In general, what do you think? I mean, it can be what you kind of hold to. So, for instance, like what we've heard here. But then also, what? how would the world answer that question? So those outside the church, maybe you've had conversations, friends yeah. and family, they say, hey, I don't agree with that. You know what? The church should be doing this. That's what they should be doing. Have you ever had those? Mm -hmm. Been part of those? Said those? So I like to think of it as if, we are all members of the household of God one day, then you are all contributing to the household of God one day. So everybody should be, there's a contribution effort, or you should be a part of and contributing Assuming that to. that is, you're, you're indeed a part of that, hmm? and also you seek and desire that for the, the what the scriptures lay out. Yeah. Yeah. In the public view, um, it's kind of like uh, brainwashing people to be against the social liberties. Who are you to tell me what I can do? Yes, I mean, the church with um, those who are against just any sort of structure, you know, it's, 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 just, a, it's just a structure that is for wielding power controlling people. So some people, mm -hmm. government is a structure, church is another structure, mm -hmm. education is a structure. 
of that nice institution that makes good people. Mm -hmm. Makes you nice, right? You're friendly. Or some may say it makes you not nice. Yeah. I think um, sometimes there's a place of just public advocacy. Like certain people groups kind of look to their church to kind of advocate, you know, for them, mobilize. Like the black church famously is, um, you know, many of the leaders of the black church would advocate publicly for, you know, civil rights and the mm -hmm. needs and interests of their people. Yeah. So when we also talk about the purpose, one thing I think we also have to think of in terms of how people would define it is also level of importance. How do people correspond to how important is the church? Is it down here? Is it up there? Is it just something we go to every Sunday, right? That's just where you're supposed to be. How important, how much influence does it play in your life? So we can kind of think of these broad <clears throat> terms, but when we get into the purpose, we get into kind of three general areas. And that being, within the church, as far as purpose is involved, we talk about exaltation, edification, and evangelism. Okay? So exaltation, edification, and evangelism. I love that they all start with E. Maybe the guy who wrote it <coughs> did that on purpose or something. Um, so exaltation. Let's dive into that, okay? So when we're talking about exaltation, what we are talking about is that exalting i.e. of who? God, right? That is one of the major, if not we would say, the primary purpose of the church is to the exaltation of God. When we're talking about exaltation, that term meaning like that elevation. We're making sure that God is first and foremost in rank and our thoughts. He is the one to be desired above all else. And so we exalt him. We see him. We use terms, right? High and lifted up, right? We give him all praise and glory and honor due to his name. So we want to make sure that within the church, exaltation is key. Okay? Now, let's look at some passages here. Ephesians 1.12. Could I get a reader? Okay. To the end that we who the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Okay. Colossians 3.16. I can get that one. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Good. First Peter four eleven. Another reader. I got it. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterance of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Yeah. Um, in all of these, I think, as I'm kind of reading through them, I'm underlining a few key points, right? And so we have, like, uh, would be to the praise of his glory, right? We have um, 
all things, as far as in First Peter, we have so that in all things. And then we have later on, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. So there's these encompassing things that everything that we should be doing should be flowing towards exalting God. We also have a little extra one that kind of popped into my head. 1 Corinthians 10.31, not in your handout, but if you want to jot it down. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So everything that we should be doing should in some shape or form be to the glorification of the Lord. And that blends right here with what we do as the church in this exalting of him. Now, how do we exalt God? What does that look like here in the church? How do we do that? Don't worry, I didn't have to be a deep answer. Be easy. The other Oh, oh. There. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> 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 <So> moving on. <laughs> <Sir>. <laughs> okay. Well, well right. uh, I can deal with that. So, all right, we got these two. <laughs> what does it look like? Well, I, I would even say exaltation on its own. Like anytime we sing praises and worship and pray, that doesn't necessarily edify or evangelize, but it does exalt God. Does. Every Sunday morning we go and sing songs, don't we? That's to his exaltation. And sometimes you can really kind of, you can feel that. I mean, songs create emotion within us. One of the things that I think I'm very thankful for within our music ministry is our, the words in some of our songs are awesome, right? I mean, some of them are literally scripture, but they're poetry in action, and they're full of truth. And I remember coming here at first, and came from a little bit different uh, music ministry atmosphere, I suppose. And there can be that quick thing, it's like, oh, it's just hymns. But really, it's, it's, it's good stuff. I enjoy it immensely. And I think that's something that I always remember Tanner being very big upon in the music ministry when he would talk to all of us. So I think that's super cool. What did I say? Tanner. Oh, sorry, Tanner. I'm not music. You didn't know. <laughs> you're about to be elevated to that office. Yeah. <laughs> Heard it on the street. I wasn't at the job. Okay. Tyson. Tyson. <clears throat> Exaltation. Anything else? What else? I would say serving exalts God. It does. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Maybe whenever we proclaim who God is, we're exalting God, whether that's through song or towards one another to encourage one another or towards non-believers. There's an element of, of worship and praise built into to all of that. You can see that in Colossians 3.16 where we're singing with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God, but we're actually teaching and admonishing one another as we do so. So this yeah. joining together of, of these different elements at the same time. Exactly. And why is it, do you think, if I'm making the argument that exaltation is probably the primary function, why is it that? Why do you think that it is that we should put that as the primary purpose of the church? Well, if we're not, like even going off of Brandon's um, thinking of using the other two means to exalt, like if we're not doing those things to the glory of him, then what are we doing it to? Like, what are we? Who are we evangelizing about? 
why are we building each other up as building each other up in God? So it all has to be with his exaltation. It's also kind of like a foretaste of what it's going to be like in eternity too, preparing us. That's a good insight. Because, yeah, I mean, we're going to be in heaven, exalting the Lord, day in, day out, year, millennia, on millennia. So I think this idea that it is, primary. Another thought I kind of had on this was that if we take exaltation kind of out of its supremacy within the church, what the church should be God-centered, shouldn't it? That is where and what we should have our eyes and our hearts and our minds focused upon is upon the Lord. We should have ourselves, our, our motivation, our inner drive is that we are a people who are God-centered. Now, I think if we kind of take that exaltation away, then what would be the natural outcome that could happen? I think we could become man-orientated, man-centered. And I think for myself, I know, I think some of the things that you can kind of detect or get the vibe of, maybe you guys have experienced, maybe it's just a me thing or something, but I think oftentimes in, say, Christian literature, Christian music, all those kind of things, you hear a lot of kind of like the I and you, right? It becomes almost, in my opinion, a little bit too much on the devotional side. In some shape or form, everything kind of whips back towards, how do you feel about this? What do you think about this, right? How has this affected me, kind of thing. Now, I would say that that's not necessarily a bad thing. We should have introspection. We should read scripture with the end result of saying, how does this apply to my life? And what should I do with this knowledge or cut this thing out, add X, Y, or Z thing, whatever it is, Scripture does convict us personally. However, if we do take exaltation from its primacy, I think we can start to become a little bit us-orientated and us-centered. The church is to meet my needs, right? You know, not asking myself, what can I do for the church? Not to quote JFK there, but so Mm -hmm. can kind of twist that. Okay. So we need to make sure that we kind of keep an eye on that. So, And why is it, or how is it, do you think that we can kind of mess this up? We can kind of take exaltation out of the frame. What do you think we do? Why? Does that make sense? Can you repeat the question? Yeah. So what I'm asking is, is like, what do you think is a reason as to why we do not hold exaltation to its firstness. Maybe it's a little bit too early. Mm-hmm. Would be for me. We try to put people first before God. And so if we're putting people first, then we're putting trying to meet their needs versus what God has set out for us instead. Or what they think their needs are. Mm-hmm. Which brings us back to, say, salvation by works. I think that's what we're doing. If we go too hard on that, yeah. 
think one way we do it, even in like a sanctified way, is we place our priorities over God's priorities or preferences. And so we, in, in the church context, we end up fighting over secondary issues or issues of preference that may or may not matter to different degrees, but we, we can do that in a way that undermines actually God's purpose for his church in terms of unity and faithful expression of the gospel. Um, and so when, if I'm fighting with my brother and damaging the unity of the church, when it dishonors God, then I've placed myself and my priorities and my preferences above God's purposes for his people. I think one other way is uh, sometimes we can, with our words, um, exalt or you know have the right theology that we sing about and speak about. But um, if our if if we are involved in sin, right, then we dishonor uh, His name and we don't bring exaltation. Uh, the scriptures talk about in First Peter about how the Gentiles, right, the unbelieving world, sees your behavior; they see your conduct. And that can bring praise to God when they see you acting in a godly and living in a godly way. And the opposite is true. So regardless of what we say or sing about, right, if we live ungodly lives with our words, with our actions, if we're immoral, if we're getting drunk, sexually immoral, those type of things, we're not exalting God. No. I think one way that this is very common is when the actual church service really just becomes an entertainment mm -hmm. show where it's about it's about the rock band and it's about the lights and it's about the smoke and it's about you know the the waves crashing behind the lyrics on the screen and it's like you know it's about all of the aesthetics and what the people on stage are wearing and how good they sing and it's and it's all just this show this entertainment show and then you bring a charismatic guy up who gives kind of you know 20 25 minute devotion or you know motivational devotional right. that he mm -hmm. kind of throws some scripture on it it's all this show to <coughs> to attract people in and it and it becomes about um, the people performing not about actually exalting god and everything is built on exalting those people and oftentimes it centers around a single figurehead who's the pastor and who's kind of the guy. Um, You're saying that's than, bad? Yes, yes. <laughs> but I'm not saying we do it here. Um, but um, there, that is a very, in a lot of contemporary churches and worship, that's... It's interesting, though, that we started out in First Corinthians, our Bible study this year, they had the same issue in the church in Corinth. And he's like, I heard, guys, there's divisions among you because mm -hmm. you are exalting these men yeah. saying, well, I was baptized by him or I was baptized by him. And he's like, no, you were baptized by Christ. You know, and right. I, he's like, I'm glad I did not baptize any of you because then you would be pledging your allegiance to me. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. this exaltation of, of the men in the church over God is... Who's your favorite pastor? Yeah. yeah, and just to clarify, like I don't, like I don't think good bands and lights and stuff are wrong. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but I think that when it becomes about the people who are performing, then that's when it gets off track. Hmm. That's good. Yeah. So, kind of on these notes, what about edification, right? So, we want to make sure that we're God oriented, we're God centered. But um, edification does kind of then begin to speak kind of towards us, right? When we're talking about edification, 
it's the fact of that we are to be nurturing and building up the faith of us, those believers that are a part of this church. We should be growing intellectually, spiritually, right? We want to know the scriptures more. But before I say any more, let's kind of look at um, Colossians 1.28. Can I get somebody to read that? We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Good. Ephesians 4, 12 through 13. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Excellent. So we've kind of hinted around about this, but let me just throw the question out for further discussion. How do the members of the church edify one another? What does that look like? It can come in the form of a gentle admonishment. It can, there's a lot of ways that it comes forth, and that's part of living in Christ and living as He would have done. Because hmm? He said hard things to people, and it wasn't always received. Hmm. So, yeah, that's one point. In our fellowship, knowing each other and what's going on, uh, leading to prayer for each other. In Ephesians 4.12, it says, equipping the saints for the works of service for the building up of the body of Christ. So there's a sense of we serve one another. That can tie into the action. It also tie into the, our, our giftedness that God's given us to serve and build up the body. Hmm. And then it goes on in Ephesians 4.15 to say, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way to him who is the head. So there's also an element that's not tied to particular giftedness, but we, we speak the truth to one another and we do it with love. Both things fully present actually cause us to be edified and built up into Christ's likeness. Mm-hmm. And that, that's kind of the opposite that I mentioned earlier, like they should divide over issues. But there's also another side where we're not willing to speak the truth of the gospel and love to somebody else because we're afraid or, or we're, we feel awkward or we want to avoid any conflict. Um, and that actually causes the church to not be edified, not to be built up, and so we're left immature as a result. Yeah. Yeah, and we're, we talk a lot about this maturing effect. We should continue. I mean, that's why we talked about sanctification, right? We should have a continual progression of looking, thinking more and more like Christ. We do want to grow. Colossians, when we talk about every man complete in Christ, that completion speaks of maturity. Not that he doesn't, he's like, I'm good, I, I have enough Jesus in me, I'm, I'm, I'm good. It's not that kind of completion that we're talking about. But within edification, we kind of got a point towards, this is kind of like within the church. Okay? So we work with one another. I mean, that's why we have our Bible studies, isn't it? And we look at the word, we go in depth, we go through the books, we have conversations, sometimes we have friendly debate about what said passage may mean. Sometimes those are the funnest moments. Because I think when, in my opinion, for instance, like in our Friday morning Bible studies, sometimes we'll have opposing views. But it is fun to see brothers go back and forth with laughter. 
right? And then there's joking. There's a jovialness over it. It's not a fight of I'm right, you're wrong kind of thing. But we can do that in the church because we're grounded in love for one another. We're striving to become more obedient and understand the scriptures more completely, right? Real quickly here with this edification idea, I came across in some of my reading this um, this list of, for instance, we all know those one another passages, you know, do X, Y, or Z thing, or see X, Y, and Z thing this way, and then it's always tailed in with one another, right? Let me just read you this as we're talking about edification. Kind of a long list here, but I think it's really helpful to kind of get the idea. So we are called, via scripture, to love one another, live in harmony with one another, welcome one another, admonish, care for, serve, bear one another's burdens, be patient with one another, be kind to one another, forgive one another, sing uh, praises with one another, regard one another as more important than oneself. Parents, that's like what we quote to our kids all the time. Um, Speak truth to one another, encourage one another, seek good for one another, um, stir up one another to love and good deeds. We confess our sins to one another. We pray for one another. We're hospitable towards one another. We're humble towards one another. So we're a lot of things to one another, and it's all in that edifying effect, right? It's for that continual building up. I liked this quote that I kind of came across, and it said, when you take all these one another's, And if they are actually put into practice, right, executed really well within the church, it's all this makes gospel transformation visible and verifiable so that the message is proven to be as powerful as it claims to be, right? So when we preach the gospel to those outside the church and they wonder of its effectiveness, they should be looking at the church and seeing the fruit, And that only gives better credentials towards the gospel. It proves that it does work, because it does, right? So, another thing, evangelism, right? We've kind of talked a little bit about this in some regards, but what are the commands that we are supposed to follow in terms of evangelism? So let's take a look at Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Can I get a reader again? Carson, thank you. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Perfect. It's kind of like a cataclysmic one, isn't it? I mean, the one we all know really well. Acts one eighteen. Can I get another reader? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witness both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Excellent. First Peter 2 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Good. So within evangelism, we might be even able to say, this is that outreach, this is the um, preaching the gospel. And so, it's kind of outside the church, right? This is what we are now commanded by our Lord to go and do, right? And hopefully, with the outpouring that they then come in, right? So, How is it that evangelism and edification can kind of get out of balance? 
How can they get out of whack and as far as like maybe our level of importance or how we execute them within the church? How do you think that is? How is it that they can get kind of, do we put per- supremacy over one or the other at times? What do you think? Y'all touched on it with the uh, seeker-sensitive movement. The church is man-centered and entertainment-centered. So, mm-hmm. in that kind of church, there's usually seemingly a less emphasis on what sin is and uh, repentance. And um, so, there's a, a feeling of just love, and that will cover everything. Um, without that true balance, without scripture, I think we heard it recently in the Andy Stanley controversy where uh, his church had that unconditional conference and a lot of what was said was don't let your theology get in the way of your ministry mm-hmm. which you, if you don't have right theology you're not going to have good ministry yeah. so that undermines if you don't have the right correction if you're just seeking unity above you know rightly dividing the word of God and the authority mm-hmm. of scripture then it's not going to be evangelism you're, you're doing a different gospel Theology should give the bones to our evangelism. Give that strength, structure. What else? I think it's good sometimes to ask yourself and just look at your life, look at your week, look at your days, and just how many interactions am I having within the church with believers? How many am I having with those in my community outside the church, those who are believers in? If 99% of those are with one or the other, then it's probably out of balance. That's good. Self-check. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think you kind of already talked about this earlier, but if we practice edification correctly, mm-hmm. well, it's going to end in glorification to the Lord, right? We go through our Bible study, we come across said passage, and we're hit with said truth that it's like, wow, I did not know. That is mm-hmm. amazing. What's the result? Praise and honor and glory to God, right? But in the same regards, when we do that, what Will was pointing at, it gives structure, it gives um, the right purpose, the right mindset for evangelism. And I think evangelism, done correctly, can also end up in glorification to the Lord, right? We go out, we see that person come to Christ, and we're excited, we're joyous about that. We give him praise and honor and glory. Vice versa, evangelism, I think, can also fuel edification in the regard of, let's say you get out there, you try to present said truth, and it doesn't go well. They sideswipe you with X, Y, Z question, you go, uh, I don't know, right? And what does that do? It sends you to your Bible so that you can better learn and grow. You have conversations with those who have gone before you, right? Your elders, those who are wiser, right? So they kind of work hand in hand with one another. Can I give an, an, an example of I think it's worked out well in, in our church. Um, one of our elders. Uh, <clears throat> so Naomi and I went to play pickleball a few weeks ago because we're old. And that. It's kind of the mark I can do it? that. Especially, especially in pairs, it doesn't require nearly as much running back and forth. <laughs> but we went out there and, uh, <laughs> and I, I, I took a day off uh, in traveling. And we go out there, and, and John Wernley's out there playing with a group of people. 
And uh, Taco John, afterwards, one of our elders. He Did he have a headband and wristband on? I won't tell But I, I talked to him afterwards at a different moment, and he had shared that he, they, he realized that because there, he's an elder here, and so much ministry is built around edifying the church here, that they had no, very few non-believing relationships once he stopped working full-time. And so they started playing pickleball with a group of people in order to be engaged in the community more actively and hopefully open the door to, to share the gospel. But I thought it was a good glimpse into, actually, the, the danger sometimes of we're so focused on the church that and it's good that we actually lose contact with the outside world in a sense. And so evangelism only happens when someone like knocks on our door and asks us to share the gospel with them. You know, that doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Um, but I love the example of one of our leaders saying, I'm committed to building up the body, but I also need to be engaged in the world around me. We want to take active steps to be in an environment where that can happen. I thought that was a neat, a neat balance. Yeah. Pickleball is not only for old people. Yeah, I think another, like as far as like edification, I think sometimes um, when people come to church, it's all about me being edified and me spending time with my friends, going back and forth. And you could just ignore the people kind of on or maybe kind of new to church and not really reach out to them because it's just my time to connect with my friends. And I think as far as evangelism, some people can be so focused on evangelism that they don't have the accountability that you need, mm. I think, to do that well. Because, I mean, it is. When you spend a lot of time with non-Christians, you've got to make sure you have some safety ropes and safety harnesses in case the influence is starting to go the other way. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I know yeah. we. It's something that we talk about. Um, it was a transition. So our kids uh, homeschooled up, and then they came into public school as, as freshmen. And, and just re- we talked a lot about how <coughs> that that system. Like, how do you apply this? So, like, you go to church on Sunday, then you're in public school on Monday, and you go to Bible study on Monday night, right? And you're back at school on Tuesday, Wednesday, and you're group on Wednesday, Wednesday night. And like trying to see that like there's a purpose for both of those, that you're edified within the church, but then now you're going out and you're living your life amongst the unbelieving world to try and model, okay, when you're out as an adult, you know, you need to be both. You need the church constantly to be in there, being built up and edified to equip you to then go out and be in, in the midst of the world, sharing the gospel, loving you. So there's lots of ways in which you can look at your life, look at your job, look at your interactions, look at your social, your friends, right? And how can I structure that constant where you're, you're being built up to do the work of ministry? Mm-hmm. And you're doing that within the church, but then you're also evangelizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes conversations with folks, I mean, that can really shoot holes in, or see, you can see the holes in your understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I found that in conversations when people ask me questions. Good. Okay. So, got a little bit of time. We'll bridge into it. Why not? Yeah. Okay. So, talk about purpose of the church, but we also need to talk about the government of the church. Okay. So I'm not talking about like the government, but when we're talking about like what is the structure of leadership within the church? How do we understand that? What do we now for us here in the church? I think we're pretty, pretty well connected. I think with our leadership amongst us, right? 
Um, there are bigger churches that maybe we don't know who is leading and guiding and directing. But for our purposes here, one of the main offices that we look at is elders. Okay, So elders, kind of an interesting little uh, deal here. If you kind of look at your text here, we're going to read through some of it here. But when we have the identification of elders, biblically speaking, I'm going to try it. I think it's presbyteris. I don't think I said that with enough rolling of an R or an S, perhaps, but that's okay. I tried to listen to Blue Letter Bible, but I already forgot it. So this Greek word, though, is also where we get the definition for Presbyterian. Kind of interesting, right? We've all heard of that, perhaps. But we're talking about, at first, we're talking about like an older man. Now, somebody who, I guess we could say, is seasoned. They're mature, right? They understand things. They've been through life. Now. These terms, elder, they point towards dignity and maturity of this lofty office within the church. They have the authority, for instance, to say distribute money. They can make decisions regarding orthodoxy, our doctrines. They can also uh, do things like uh, go visit the sick. Like they reach out, they, they get involved with the body. They are our shepherds. They are protecting us. They're looking after us. They're checking in on us, those kind of things, right? It is a good thing to have them with us, something that we should be very grateful for. Now, along with that term, we also see that there is episkopos, another word there that's used. When we see that translated, oftentimes it's also overseer. You'll see it as elder. And for those of you who have the King James Bible, you'll also see it translated sometimes as bishop, right? Obviously, we don't really use that word, and we don't lean on that word because of its kind of a little bit misleading. Like, now if we think of bishops, what do we naturally think of? Right? Chess. Chess. <laughs> nice. Sight swipes me. <laughs> well done. So you think of chess, and so you're just all confused, because they don't look the same or nothing, but, and they can only go diagonally, right? So, yeah. So. They're like big palms. Yeah, yeah. So if you ever see Scott in the hallway, and he only goes, down this way, don't blame him, it's just part of his position. I don't think I could have seen that coming. I'm right there with you. So I was going with the Catholic Church, but okay, whatever. Moving on. Thank you, Bishop Marshall. Um, so our qualifications. I kind of like that. Bishop Marshall? No. No. <laughs> I'll let you two debate it in the next elder meeting. Um, <laughs> qualifications, though. We get it from 1 Timothy chapter 3. And the cool thing about this is when you look at 1 Timothy, and if you guys want to, we're going to kind of chat about it a little bit here. If you want to open your Bibles, kind of go there. It's cool because, for instance, you get both of kind of the offices that we look at, elders and deacons, and those qualities that we look for in those individuals. I'll give you a moment here. Just kind of use your eyes, and as I kind of list this, kind of look and see where you kind of see all this taking, as far as elders, okay? And we're starting, if you're going for elders, that should be one through seven, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, so we have things like this individual, these qualities that we're looking for in an elder. They're to be above reproach, right? That is that they can't be pointed at or accused of something, right? They need to be above reproach. They are also the husband of one wife, right? We don't necessarily probably have that big of an issue in our society in this day and age, but 
that is something to be pointed out, especially when we talk about like ancient times kind of thing. So um, we also have that they're temperament, right? They're sober in judgment. They're prudent, right? They're sound-minded. They're respectable. Um, they're not abrasive. They're a well-balanced individual. Um, we have them being hospitable, right? So they're the ones that have that hand extended. They host. They love um, individuals, uh, also strangers that come through our doors. They want to engage with them. Um, they're able to teach, very key part, right? So they can discern and they can communicate doctrine. They're also not addicted to wine, right? So we're not going <coughs> to see heavy drinking involved amongst those who would qualify for elder. Um, I like this one. Not pugnacious. What a word. That's a good word, right? So they're not a fighter. They're not quarrelsome. I, I don't see that in Scott at all, right? So not a fighter. Except for when he trolls you with Bishop. Yeah, right? a, a little bit. I didn't, I didn't see that. I didn't think that was very next one gentle. <laughs> kind. <laughs> so they are gentle, though, right? We have gentle individuals. Um, they're not uh, uncontentious, so they also, not only do they not fight, but they're not looking for the fight either. They're not that kind of aggressive, abrasive personality that is just looking to take it to somebody, right? They also are not a lover of money. Now, that means that they are going to manage what is given to them well, right? But that's not where their hope lies. That is not what they're attached to. They keep a loose, a loose hold on that. They're also able and do manage their households well, right? Their own family, okay? No, nobody claims perfection. So don't grab these and then start poking at our elders kind of thing, right? But their household in general is one of good order, right, and respect. They're also not a new convert, okay? So they're not new to the faith. And that one I think is also very key, right? Because things can get really mixed up if you're the new guy on the block and then you're put to one of the highest offices within the church. Right? So they also are of good reputation with unbelievers. So even amongst their community, if let's say you're in conversation with a said person at the grocery store and John Mornley's name gets dropped, right? Hopefully they're not saying, oh, that guy, right? Mm -hmm. If anything, it's like, oh yeah, I know John, you know John? Yeah, I do. Oh, great guy, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of the idea, mm -hmm. is they do have a good reputation. I would say our elders do have that. So, another one piece here is that, for, or, excuse me, Titus 1, 5 through 9 is also another area of description. I'm not going to read it all, but one piece that I think is important is at the tail end of verse 9 is that it says of the elder, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. And this last piece I think is cool is that, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. That is one element that I actually really do love about our elders is that they act as a protecting force for us, right? They have that staff that they look after us with it, but also if a wolf comes in our midst, they're not too afraid to kind of take it to them. And that's a good thing. I've heard of stories where people have tried to distribute said false teaching or material within it, and our elders have kind of put the halt on it and said, nope, not here. But they do that out of love for us. So it's kind of like having four dads, right? So um, it's, it's, I, I think it's awesome. So it's a good thing. They do act as a protector. So given all these attributes, given all these things, 
Real quickly, just just in passing. I know we're almost done here, but why does God put si- such high standards for elders? Why do you think that? They have a much greater responsibility and duty to the church than just everyone else. They have to be responsible and also not like they they can't have the position for just like wanting it for themselves. They have to have that position in order to serve God and serve us to the best of their ability. That's very important. And they have to give account to that leadership, don't they? Right? So it's a weighty office, for sure. Any other reasons? I think it's, it's good to remember, too, that like he has high standards for all of us that he calls us all to the image of Christ. And uh, so, you know, I often talk to other men that, you know, whether you're an elder or not, you should be striving to be qualified to be an elder. At whatever role you're serving in the church, you're striving to be in the image of Christ. That is a a good point. None of us are perfect in these qualifications, and we're all striving after to be more like Him day by day. Yeah, the other thing, too, I've kind of noticed a trend for, um, like, to be a leader who can speak truth to you, you have to be authentic. And there's almost this idea that. I can help you with a bad marriage because I've got a bad marriage. Mm-hmm. You're messed up, I'm messed up. Join the club, right? And so there is almost this diminishment of, of leadership where if you even say somebody holds to these standards, you know, that just can't be done. That's just unrealistic. Mm-hmm. And by having high standards and having, you know, and none of these, these elders meet them all the time, but it's like holiness is actually possible the Spirit of God can change and transform a life. Mm-hmm. And the work, I mean, when rightly understood, the work that's been done in their life, they can help you. You know, live a faithful life as well. Yeah. And ultimately, I think that gives more hope because they're examples. Yeah, and I mean, when we think of our elders, they are the ones that we look up to. We mm-hmm. say, well, how did they do that? Yeah. Oh, that's a good example. Yeah, okay. And they're not the only ones. Right. Uh, with the teaching element, but is you know they kind of remind you it's possible to live a faithful life. That's good. <clears throat> oh, yeah, well, yes, modeling what we're reading in the Word of God, or actually mm-hmm. living it out, and seeing, showing us that, uh, like Pastor Dave said, it's possible to have Holy Spirit power to do the same. Mm-hmm. You know, I really love ideas of what a good leader is. But God makes it very clear for his church, for a shepherd of his church, it's character. It's the one ability, the ability to teach. That's to discern truth and error in the scriptures and to build the people. But everything else is character. So the world thinks about being charismatic or great visionary, all these things. That can fall into leadership in the church to a degree. But it comes down to it. It's godly people lead the church toward godliness. Push pause. All right. So let me go ahead and pray, and we'll continue this next time. Well, Father God, we do thank you very much for this time that we have gotten to look into your word. Lord, please help us to be a church where we exalt your name, where we go out and we do evangelize to the lost. And Father God, where we 
also relate and we work with one another for the edification and the upbuilding of the body to your glory, Father. Father, I do thank you for our leadership, for our elders and for our deacons, for our pastors, Father. Um, thank you that we have that. Um, I think that can really quickly get overlooked, but Lord, we are richly blessed by them. And Father God, just please strengthen them and enable them to um, continue to complete the work of their office um, to your glory. And Lord, may we as a church um, be one that you would so wish it to be. Thank you for this time. Please be with us now as we go into worship. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>